Fresh off the bye week, Michigan looks to keep their resurgence going. It's in-state rivalry week, and we'll preview the game against Sparty with Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal. Recap some of the happenings in the Big Ten in college football this week, including the unsurprising news about Chase Young at Ohio State. And we'll get you some picks and make sure you're as ready as can be for kickoff in Ann Arbor this Saturday. It is all up next on this week's edition of Hail to the Pod. This week's edition of Hail to the Pod, I'm your host, Kevin Rich. As always, you can tweet me at krich23, email the show at hailtothepod at gmail.com, and you can follow and subscribe to the podcast anywhere your favorite podcasts are found, including Spotify, Google Play, and Apple iTunes. Of course, you can download uh, new episodes as soon as they come out, and you can also subscribe and get those episodes downloaded automatically. Every time a new episode comes out, it will get sent right to your listening device. It is week 12 of the college football season, and I really enjoyed week 11. I don't know about you. There's just something great about the bye week. You know, it's like there's no anxiety. There's no feelings of, you know, so many great games on today, but I got to sweat it out uh, in regards to watching the Michigan game. There was none of that. Michigan got to uh, enjoy the bye week uh, this past week, which came at a great time for them after some physical matchups the last few weeks. It's like they went into Happy Valley uh, and then had to go play that rainy game in Ann Arbor against Notre Dame with a lot of emotion. Uh, followed by that game uh, on the road at Maryland as well. So for Michigan, a great time for the bye week. And for all of us that are fans, supporters of the program, and also love college football, it made last week even sweeter. So as James Earl Jones would say, we bow to no man, we bow to no program, we bow to no bye week. And Michigan has advanced uh, from that bye week unscathed. But what a great weekend uh, to watch games last week. Of course, we had the game of the century LSU versus Alabama, and kudos to LSU for uh, taking care of Bama on the road. I mean, to go to Tuscaloosa and take care of Alabama the way that they did on Saturday is just really impressive and just crazy to think of Joe Burrow uh, at quarterback position for LSU, what he's been able to do this year. He's no doubt the front runner for the Heisman right now. To see what Ed Orgeron has done uh, with that program to take his team on the road and win a huge game. They've won big games so far this year, but that is the biggest game so far to knock off Alabama. And for all the Alabama haters out there, which is probably, I don't know, 92, 93% of the country, uh, just because Alabama just wins and wins and wins and you feel like they're just always there. They're always number one. They're on the top of the sport. Uh, It was really good to see LSU win that game on Saturday. And there is uh, definitely no doubt as to them being the number one team in the country. But while that game was great, there were two great games in the Big Ten on Saturday. You had Minnesota and Penn State. Row the boat, ski you ma, dilly dilly. Actually, I don't think dilly dilly is a third thing that uh, Coach Flex says, but hey, it sounds right. I actually, I can't even think of what the third thing he says. Maybe be elite or something like that, but row the boat, ski you ma, dilly dilly. I think that sounds better. Maybe uh, Anheuser-Busch will uh, hop on and sponsor the podcast at some point. But a uh, big win for Minnesota on Saturday. That was really fun to watch. There was part of me and maybe part of you as a Michigan fan that was kind of disappointed in the game because Minnesota did 
what we kind of wanted Michigan to do out of the gate against Penn State, uh, which was they threw the ball and threw it often. They threw the ball to set up the run. Uh, Michigan, of course, wasn't really able to do that in the game against Penn State uh, until they got down 21 to nothing, uh, where they found a ton of success against the Penn State secondary. But it was a little too little too late as they weren't able to pull that game out. But Minnesota, Tanner Morgan looked phenomenal at quarterback. That place was buzzing. That crowd was out of control for that game, and it was so awesome to see Minnesota undefeated season. A lot of doubters out there didn't think that they could win that game against Penn State, uh, and they did. And, uh, of course, it was also fun to see James Franklin, per usual, have a uh, boneheaded coaching decision where he went for two, uh, which ended up hurting them later in the game when they could have actually tied the game up with a field goal uh, but didn't have that opportunity. So a big win for Minnesota, the Golfers. Uh, They are going into their busiest part of their schedule, their most hectic part of their schedule, the toughest part of their schedule, as they still have to face Iowa this weekend, which should be a good game. Uh, We've seen what Iowa can do at Kinnick Stadium uh, for night games or late afternoon games. Uh, We saw them obviously kick the field goal to beat Michigan a couple years ago, knock them out of the playoffs, and then what they did to Ohio State last year to uh, knock them out of the playoffs as well, see what Iowa can do against Minnesota next week. Minnesota still has Wisconsin. Uh, later in the season as well. So the Big Ten West is definitely still up for grabs. Then the game that was also on during the LSU-Bama game was the Michigan State-Illinois game. And what an epic collapse by Sparty on Saturday. Words just cannot describe it. We'll talk uh, with Graham Couch from the Lansing State Journal about that here in a few minutes. Uh, But, what I mean, just unbelievable. Michigan State, they come out, they're up 28-3. to Uh, As you know from listening to the podcast, I was at the game in Madison a couple weeks back where Michigan State got blown out. Uh, In fact, they didn't even put up any points in that game against Wisconsin. And here you go. You're looking at the game on Saturday saying, all right, they're finally putting it together. That offense is looking good. They got 28 points on Illinois. They're going to come into that Michigan game fired up and ready to roll. And what does Lovey Smith and Illinois do? And Brandon Peters, those guys put up a performance Uh, On Saturday, they were able to come back from 25 points down and absolutely shock Michigan State. Michigan State now with four losses on the season. Illinois is bull eligible. Great for them, but just a terrible collapse by Michigan State. And you begin to wonder what their mindset is going to be going into the game on Saturday. And again, we'll talk about that here with Graham Couch shortly. But just some great games on Saturday. And there was no doubt uh, a lot to be uh, enjoying during Michigan's bye week. And then there was the news out of Ohio State. Chase Young, of course, uh, the story you've heard by now, something that happened about nine or ten months ago, took a loan for his girlfriend to get out to Pasadena for the Rose Bowl. Ohio State, they jump in, NCAA looking into it. They decide to put a four-game suspension on Chase Young, which surprised nobody when we all figured that that would be lessened so that he could play in the Michigan game. And sure enough, that's the news we heard this week, that his suspension would only be for two total games, Maryland last week and Rutgers this week, which of course suddenly clears him to play against Penn State and Michigan. Let me show you my surprise face. (laughs) I I mean, look, I'm not for conspiracy theories, but something is really fishy about him being suspended for two games against the likes of Maryland and Rutgers, but suddenly being cleared to go for their two biggest games of the year. Just something's not right there, but it is what it is. But I'll tell you this. If you're a Michigan fan and you're cheering for Michigan 
to beat Ohio State at the end of the year, something that they have not done and something they've struggled with recently in this series. And we talked about the close games. We talked about the blowout last year, which was really tough to stomach, really thought Michigan had the edge going in that game. They get Ohio State in Ann Arbor this year. And the one thing about Chase Young being in that game come a couple Saturdays from now is the fact that you want – I mean, tell me you don't want deep down every player possible playing in that game for Ohio State because you do not want to hear any excuses. If Michigan were to shock Ohio State and pull the upset in a couple Saturdays from now, don't you want Chase Young on the field? Don't you want to be able to say, hey, their best guys were on the field. They can't come back to us and say, well, you know. I mean, we would have won the game if Chase Young played or our best player on defense didn't play. So, you know, put an asterisk on that. You know, do you think you guys really would have beaten us if uh, he was in the game? I mean, it's BS, right? You want every player on the field for those big games. And I actually look at it and say, look, at this point, this is no surprise. When that news came out last week. You you scratch your head. You said, look, you know he's going to be back on the field for the Michigan game. There's no way that they're going to keep him out for four games. They're going to find a way to get him back on the field. And here we are. So if you're Michigan, you say, fine, I want your best player on the field because I want to be able to prep to play against him. And most importantly, if we pull the upset, if we knock you from the list of unbeatens, if we knock you from being in the playoffs and we win that big rivalry game in Ann Arbor in a couple Saturdays, we did it. And there are no excuses you can throw to us about your best player not playing in that game. And then last thing I want to tackle, the college football playoff rankings. Uh, been a lot of uh, talk about you know teams number four and down in terms of where they are, but I agree with the college football playoff committee. I think they've got it right with the top three teams. Uh, LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson are, are by far the top three teams in the country right now. You know, you've heard some people talk this week about Georgia at number four, Alabama at five, should they have fallen further, but you know, is Georgia really the team that should be deserving at four versus maybe in Oregon, Utah, or even an undefeated Minnesota. I think at this point, I'm not really worried about it. It's going to work itself out. Georgia, of course, plays Auburn on Saturday. They still are going to have to go to the SEC championship game if they win out here and probably face LSU. So look, at the end of the day, if Georgia beats Auburn and then they go on to the SEC championship and they knock off LSU, then yeah, they deserve to be in the playoffs. So I have no issue with them being number four right now. And if they lose to Auburn this weekend, then they'll drop in the rankings. Like who cares at that point? I think Alabama has a lot of work to do. I think that number five spot, it's going to be hard for them to get back into the fourth spot without some chaos happening ahead of them. And what would certainly help knock Alabama out of playoff contention would be a Pac-12 champion, University of Oregon or University of Utah, winning out the rest of the season and then winning in that Pac-12 championship game because then the committee would have that to put over Alabama as Alabama would not have a conference championship uh, on tap. But there's still so much football left to be played. A couple weeks left in the season. I think the top three are just about right. And I think Michigan being in that 15th spot uh, makes sense. Uh, They are technically, as we look at the rankings here, the fourth highest ranked two-loss team. They're behind Florida, who's played a really tough schedule so far this year. Auburn, which is probably the best two-loss team in the country. And Wisconsin, who deserves to be in front of them since they beat them in Camp Randall Stadium uh, earlier this season. 
which of course makes sense as to why Notre Dame is ranked behind Michigan in that 16 spot uh, as a two-loss team because Michigan was able to knock off Notre Dame uh, just a few weeks ago as well. So I think 15th ranked uh, Michigan right there is pretty good. Michigan setting themselves up if they can win out the rest of the year uh, to be in contention for a New Year's Six game and possibly uh, the Rose Bowl. So good things there for Michigan as you look ahead, knowing that, yeah, you're not going to get in the playoff. No two-loss team has got in the playoff. There's no sense of chaos that could happen where I think Michigan would get in the playoff. And certainly the Big Ten Championship uh, game is likely out of reach at this point unless Rutgers were to pull the unthinkable and beat Ohio State this weekend, maybe get some help with Indiana beating Penn State this weekend uh, and Michigan winning out the rest of the year. Um, to get that tiebreak scenario in their favor. But at the end of the day, if you say Michigan, a two-loss season, Michigan 3-0 and against their biggest rivals and a Rose Bowl or a big New Year's Six Bowl game, I think that's a pretty good way to wrap up the season, especially if they're able to win that huge game in a couple weeks in Ann Arbor against Ohio State, something they haven't done in a while. But before we can even think about that, Michigan faces their in-state rival for the Paul Bunyan Trophy. They play Michigan State this Saturday at noon in the big house. All right, let's get to it. In-state rivals set to clash in the big house this Saturday. 14th ranked Michigan hosting Michigan State. It is the 67th meeting for the Paul Bunyan Trophy. And here to help preview the game is Graham Couch. Graham covers Michigan State athletics for the Lansing State Journal. You can read his work at lsj.com. Find him on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch. Graham, thank you for taking some time with me today. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Perfect. Well, uh, before we get into the game on Saturday, obviously there are some things that are bigger than football. Uh, Two tragedies hit home pretty hard in East Lansing this week. Uh, Spartan basketball star Cassius Winston, his 19-year-old brother, was killed by an Amtrak train on Saturday. Uh, He, of course, suited up uh, for the game on Sunday and put up a huge performance. Uh, And then a day later, uh, former Spartan football star and Detroit Lion Charles Rogers uh, passes away from liver failure at the age of 38. What's it been like, you know, around campus in the city of Lansing this week after uh, those two surprising uh, tragedies? Yeah, I mean, it's very, very different situations because one is is not directly, you know, obviously it's the, the brother of Cash, but it's present tense, right? And it's a right. guy that is a uh, megastar around here. And, it, and I think in both cases, what makes them interesting is how people have connected to them over time, right? And, and so what you have with Cassius Winston is, a guy that people dislike. I mean, I like covering him. He's a nice guy. He's a guy that will go, you know, have some depth to a conversation. He treats people with respect to who he's talking to. Um, and he's just a kind guy. And I think that resonates with people. He's also a star. And so people really, I mean, and, and the Winston family has been around for a while. And, and so I think it's, it's one of those things that people really feel a connection to him and feel just awful for him. Yeah. And then with, with Charles Rogers, he was somebody who, uh, people to this day still feel connected to because of what he represented. And, and, uh, and he played in an era when, you know, Michigan State football was trying to get someplace and just couldn't, right? And, uh, right. and yet he was, he represented part of that hope. And he was one of those thoroughbred athletes, uh, not dissimilar to some other guys that had just before him in that era, you know, the TJ Duckett's, the Plaxico Burress's, guys who you could put on a football field at Alabama or Ohio State or Michigan or wherever. And they would stand out as just just really, really athletic, uh, athletically gifted human beings, that, you know. And so that he was, and he was, you know, I mean, he was just anytime a school like Michigan State feels like they have the best of something or something that can 
can bring them, rise them above the competition. And that's what Rodgers did. Didn't matter who they were playing, he was going to be the best athlete on the field, the fastest guy on the field. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't around back then, but from everybody I've talked to, people enjoyed covering him, even though that was a uh, tough era of Michigan State football. And uh, so I think there, there's that. There are two guys that people feel connected to. And, uh, I mean, and, and you think about the sweet spot of, of you know, people were in college when Charles Rogers was uh, in college are in their late 30s now, right? And right. and uh, that's a sweet spot for fandom and readership and, and, and then just sort of, I mean, you can just feel it. That's a, it's an, an era that people connect to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's start talking about uh, the big game on Saturday. You know, most of the country uh, was watching the game of the century last Saturday between LSU and Alabama. Uh, meanwhile, some crazy things were happening uh, at Spartan Stadium, Michigan State. Obviously, they were up 28-3 on Illinois. Uh, really put together their most complete half of football all season. And even going into the fourth quarter, it uh, seemed like that game was, was theirs for the taking. But Illinois storms all the way back and, and wins the game. Uh, you know, you cover the team. You were there. I mean, how do you put into words what you saw on Saturday from the Spartans? Yeah, it, I mean, it was an epic collapse. It, it definitely was because it wasn't just a game they were leading. It was a game they were dominating. It was a game that you know, I, I've, I got I got a friend who had a little side bet with uh, another uh, radio guy in town, and they had you know he had they had, he had conceded. You know, he had he had, <laughs> he had taken the taken the uh, taken Illinois on the on the on the fourteen and a half points and and. It, it was just certain that that wasn't going to happen because it wasn't just that MSU was winning, it was how they were winning. The Illinois couldn't stop them. It looked like what had happened was you had a situation where after three games against top ten opponents, you finally had a step down in competition. And so MSU was just a little bit better at everything, and so suddenly everything was working. And that's the thing that doesn't happen when they step up in competition, and, and it affects the, the entire uh, the entire offense. But it, it was So you had that dynamic going, and then you had this, third quarter where they kind of stalled and Illinois makes adjustments and then you have this collapse that's just inexcusable it really is on all fronts and you know from a few coaching decisions and there were little things I mean there were this is not a group that finishes well right now the last play of the first half you're in what's supposed to be a prevent defense and you give up a 50-yard touchdown pass when you've got a young corner and one-on-one coverage I don't know what how kind of of prevent defense that is you know (laughs) it just doesn't it didn't prevent anything, and it didn't. It wasn't even designed to really prevent anything, unless there was a real screw up somewhere else that, that I'm not aware of. But so you, that at the time didn't feel like anything, right? It was 28-10. So what? This is they're dominating. They got lucky on the last play, but it, it obviously turned out to be a big play. The pick six by Brian Lewerke. He was in on all four turnovers. Uh, you know, a couple not his fault, but he's got to take care of better care of them. And uh, so I, yeah, it was. It was a. It was. But it was part of what is ingrained in this team right now, the way this happens. It's not, it happened in one game and it happened quickly, but it's not all that dissimilar than what happened week to week watching them play Western Michigan to Arizona State. You had this game early in the season where, you know, they've come off this opener where they didn't play well, people weren't real happy, and they played a pretty decent Western Michigan team and just drilled them. Just went up and down the field, 51-17, and then people think, well, maybe they found something. Okay, this is different. The next week they play Arizona State and they just can't do anything. And they're, they're moving the ball okay, but they, every, they stall every time they get past the fifty. And um, so that, and, and then they collapsed late with the you know fourth and thirteen defensive play. And it, it was just it was sort of that game was two games, uh, but or that was two games and this was one game. But some of the similar traits you could see. 
And uh, you can see the lack of confidence in, in, in big moments defensively, which is a, a new thing for this defense. They've been terrific. And so um, there, there's a lot there. It's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. At some point, you just you can see, you, just, you can tell it's not going to go their way. When, when things start to go wrong, and that's why I think they have very little shot this week, because even if, you know, this, this game is sometimes closer than the point spread or closer than the way the seasons are, are trending, uh, that's what happens in rivalry games. But even if Michigan State keeps it close and physically hangs in there, and they got the defensive front probably to do that. I don't know if they do everywhere else. But if, if they do that, you just don't see this group being the one that finishes on, on the winning end and makes those plays in the fourth quarter that it takes. They just haven't shown that at all. Yeah, I, I was um, I was really surprised because I, I went to the game um, in Madison uh, where uh, Wisconsin beat them 38 to nothing and. You know, that just something didn't didn't seem right. You know, the Michigan State, the team that has been so strong defensively um, the last few seasons, Wisconsin goes down and just just pounded them. And it's it's a tough road environment. Wisconsin was uh, really rolling at that time before they you know went to Ohio State and, and lost that game. But um, something just didn't feel right there. And then you know you go on and you're losing four straight now. I mean, what? What is the team's mindset? You know, is is it is it a good time to be playing Michigan because you know there are a lot of players on the team that grew up in Michigan and know the rivalry, and you kind of can shift focus as opposed to maybe going to play another team that you know doesn't resonate as much because you didn't really grow up in the rivalry. I mean, is that something you feel the team's mindset is, is it maybe going to be in a better spot this week uh, after the collapse last week, or, or what are you kind of hearing out of out of East Lansing and what you've seen and talking with folks this week? Well, no, I mean, I think winning would have been better, obviously, in terms of confidence, <laughs> right. in terms of the vibe. And what's too bad for Michigan State is they did have something going where, you know, I don't know what they can do against Illinois translates to Michigan um, to step up. But they did have, uh, you know, some swagger going again. They had found something on offense, you know, lots of things that they're going to need. And had they gone on and won that game the way it looked like they were going to, then you're thinking, okay, well, you know what? You, you, they take their swing. These are guys who have won in Ann Arbor. They won the last two times down there. Um, a lot of these guys were played in the last game in 2017. This is a group that's been around a long time. It's got pretty good leadership. I mean, this is very different than 2016 in terms of um, uh, leadership. And, and just, I mean, you, Raekwon Williams versus Malik McDowell, just the contrast in those two individuals is, is, is immense. So it, it isn't that situation where they're, there's just some character issues or guys who don't really know how to, to lead. It's just there's some talent issues, and there's been some coaching issues, and there's been you know some youth here and there. Guys aren't as good here and there, and that permeates the rest of the roster. But um, I do think playing Michigan isn't horrible uh, in terms of your focus, right? Whatever your season is, you're playing a rival that can – uh, I don't want to say make the season. I don't think this season can get made. I think, and that's you know, it's, it's a little different than than you know, 20 years ago, Michigan State maybe where that could happen, but because this was supposed to be a a really good year and it's not going to be regardless, but it can certainly change the tone and it can allow the conversations that need to happen after the season to happen with a little bit better vibe, and it can make the last two weeks not just completely miserable because if they lose this game or it goes really bad, it gets ugly. And then you've got to go on the road to Rutgers, which you're going to win. Rutgers is a dreadful team. And then you're going to play Maryland at home, and Maryland's a pretty bad team, and you're going to win that game. But nobody's going to be there. Nobody's really going to care. And you've, you're you playing to go 6-6. Six and six. That That's just not a, a great environment. <laughs> and uh, right. So I, there's, a, there's a lot at stake here. And, and 
And I, so I do think it, Michigan offers itself to be a distraction from everything else that is going on in terms of the season. Coach Mark D'Antonio, you know, you listen to national media and uh, they've been all over him, you know, similar to what national media has been all over Jim Harbaugh. I don't think either guy personally is on the hot seat um, at all. Uh, I don't read into what the national media says, but I wanted to get kind of your thoughts uh, as someone that covers the program and you have to hear that all the time and probably have to answer questions all the time about D'Antonio and his future. I mean, it seems crazy to me. Um, that he would he would leave uh, or that he would be fired. I mean, maybe if he left on his own. But what what is your thought right now on D'Antonio and, and the direction of the program and, and his future uh, when a lot of people out there are are frustrated with what's going on this season? Yeah, no. I, I look. I, I don't think he's on a hot seat uh, for what's going on in the field. He's the all time winningest coach. He's, he's earned more than that. But he's also given back a lot of his goodwill. Yeah. You know, when he when he I mean when he shuffled his staff around and. and you know, the common sense thing was you need some help offensively and you probably need some new ideas. You might need some new recruiters, all that stuff. And he chose to, to double down and stick with his guys. He had earned the right to do that. And in fact, in yeah. 2012 to 13, when he had done something somewhat similar, when people were questioning him, it worked. And two years later, you know, they went on that 36 and five run. And then in the middle of that, they had the most prolific offense they'd ever had. So he had earned the right to do it, certainly. But he was also cashing in goodwill that didn't work, and that's what happened. And he has lost the faith of a good number of the Michigan State fan base, and thats I don't think he's going to get that back offensively because they've lost the trust that he can uh, that he knows what to do. And the other thing is, you know, you look at um, his history at Michigan State, one of the things that really endeared him to MSU fans was the way he communicated with them early. The way that, I mean, you go back to 07 and the rivalry game against Michigan, and it's the little brother comment, which resonated with MSU fans because it was right. so dang true, right? I mean, that's right. why things hurt when they stink. And, and so, but he came out and said, you know, pride comes before the fall. This will never be over. And the tone, he spoke from a place that I think they they felt and they loved him for it. And then they started to win. And so he had all that. He just knew he, he had the tone. He had the pulse of the fan base. He is, the disconnect now is immense. And he's been a little stubborn with it. And he's, I mean, I, I think, you know, it would have helped him greatly. He could have got through this with a little bit of a mea culpa, with a little bit of saying, um, you know, this will get, you know, this isn't acceptable. This isn't what I want. This isn't what, you know, anybody wants. But I want to be your coach. We're going to figure this out and take a hard look at things. And, and, and you know, he wouldn't have gotten everybody back on board. But there are a lot of people who are on the fence. And it'll be interesting because I don't think he can't run this back. He can't run it back with the same staff. Now, the offensive guys are all on one-year deals. Now, the defensive guys on two-year deals. I think you will see changes there if he decides to return the $4.3 million retention bonus that I think the school should just say we're going to give you regardless because I think they should take that out of the equation. I think the, wor- the worst thing you're going to have is a guy who's sticking around for one more payday. You know, and I don't, I'm not saying D'Antonio would do that, but $4.3 million is $4.3 million and it, it definitely probably factors in. And so take that out of the equation. He's giving you 13 years of the all-time winning as coach. If you divide four million thirteen and add it to his salary, it's not that much. It's not over market value or anything for what he's given you. Um, and, and so I think, but if, if he tries to run it back, it, it's going to be um, uh, it, it's going to be a little bit of a revolt. There's no, there's no question. Yeah, if it's not Mark D'Antonio, then who? I mean, you, you know, you know his record against Michigan. He's eight and four. 
you know, talked about this on a podcast a few weeks ago when, when folks were dumping on uh, Jim Harbaugh for not, you know, winning uh, quality games uh, on the road against ranked teams when they lost to Penn State. You know, D'Antonio in that same five-year stretch that Harbaugh has been at Michigan, uh, he's one of only uh, just a handful of coaches that has a winning record on the road. So he's not just beating Michigan, uh, but he's beating the Ohio States and the Penn States and the others. Uh, and doing so consistently. So I just think it's uh, it's been a little crazy hearing uh, the national media uh, dump on him lately because I, I just don't think that there's a, a better guy out there to coach the team than what he's done. Well, yeah, but you could also make the argument, and it's not just been you know national media. I mean, national media hasn't been all that much around. I mean, I've, I've jumped on a little bit. I don't think he is – he's not going to be fired, and I think that that's an overstatement unless something off the field transpires that, that, that causes it. But the um, – I do think it's uh, you know it, 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 it's fair to it's fair to really question where things are, and even the future of the program. At some point, you're going to have to move on. And a guy like you know Pat Narduzzi, uh, I think is, is an ideal guy. And I you know I know he hasn't won dunk gangbusters at Pitt, and I think Matt Campbell would be great. A lot of people want him. A lot of you know, Luke Fick, all that stuff. But you know what, what you do have in a guy like. Uh, Mark Antonio is he did something nobody had ever done at Michigan State. He won at levels nobody had ever done. He sustained it for a time nobody had ever done. And sure, there were things with the Michigan rivalry that was helped by the shape Michigan was in. But still, he's won eight times in twelve years against Michigan. That's that's pretty notable. And and so that's something you want. You want something you understand how it was done. Understands the university why it was done. And then maybe you also understand Antonio's flaws. And you look at a guy like Narduzzi who was around through two thousand fourteen and. Uh, you know, I think there's there's an argument there that that's the sort of guy who's got some of that understanding. He's been a head coach at a place where it's hard to win, and he's um, but he also has a different personality. And I think he would he would bring certain elements that were um, you know just that were uh, some of D'Antonio's weaknesses aren't weaknesses of his. We're talking to uh, Graham Couch, covers Michigan State Athletics for the Lansing State Journal. Um, wanted to look at a couple matchups on the field on Saturday. The ground game is always really important in this matchup. The team that's led in rushing yards in the game has won 44 of the last 49 games in the series. Uh, Michigan State, you know, they showed something on the ground last week. 170 yards out of Elijah Collins was pretty impressive. Uh, what do you make out of the Spartan run game uh, going into this one on Saturday when they're facing a pretty tough Michigan defense? Yeah, not much. I mean, I, I think they got a really nice young back, um, Eliza Collins. They've got a couple you know, freshman uh, uh, offensive linemen who, who played well last week, um, but that you know that it's uh, this is a different deal, and they, they have not been able to run the ball against good teams. And I don't expect to be able to run the ball, and that in turn makes throwing the ball difficult. And it's it's you know it's, it's just <laughs> so on and so forth. And they don't have a lot of playmakers who can get a lot of separation. Now, they do have some young receivers I think are pretty good. Are they ready for this, though? Um, we'll find out. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 I, I just I, I find it really difficult to believe they'll be able to run the football. So if they're looking to air it out, Lewerke's coming off a, a bad game. You know, obviously had four turnovers, accounted for four Michigan State's turnovers last Saturday, three interceptions in the lost fumble. Uh, he's got, you know, his go-to wide receiver, Daryl Stewart, uh, who's been uh, pretty banged up. He hurt his leg in the Penn State loss. So, you know, is there is there any optimism, A, that maybe Daryl Stewart would be back this week, um, but also, you know, what do you expect to see out of the passing game with Lewerke and that young uh, wide receiving core? It's hard to say. I mean, Lewerke has looked great at times, and he looked great in the first half last week, and then he looked miserable in the second half. And so 
it's hard to say. Um, I think he's a pretty decent quarterback when you look at sort of what NFL people think about him. He might be one of those guys as a backup in the NFL for you know a time or even a decade, and, and we'll all look back at it and go, "Huh, maybe it wasn't." You know, maybe it was some other things around him. But I, you know, they've got some weapons. They just they don't have guys who scare you right now. And maybe they have a couple guys, you know, who are young who give you a shot. And there's a guy like Jalen Naylor has been out, who I think is going to be out for the year. But if he were to come back or something, that would, you know, maybe change. But they, they just don't have game breakers right now who are in the period in their careers where they can really uh, strike fear into somebody. And that's that, that's the, that's their issue. On the other side of the ball, when you think, you know, Spartan football the last few seasons, you do think about that defense, especially the run defense. You know, Michigan's really turned it on offensively the last few weeks, especially on the ground. They've averaged over 200 yards in their last four games. How do you feel the Michigan State rush defense uh, lines up against this newly improved Michigan running attack that's starting to find its way? Yeah, I mean, the, the run defense potentially, had, I mean, they, Joe Bocci's loss is, big, is, is a big deal, but the run defense potentially is, I mean, it's still the strength of the team. And th- there have been some offenses that have countered it, usually with quick passing and, and some other things, but this is still a great defensive front. A defensive front with, you know, Raquan Williams and Naquan Jones will both play in the NFL. Panashuk might have a shot. Their interior line is terrific. Willikis hasn't had a great year, but, the, you know, he, the, the, this is a, and it's a decent linebacking core. Still, uh, so it, it's a front group that has a chance, and that's really the key for them, right? It, it's they've right. got to win somewhere, and if they don't win out front against the run, they got no shot. But even against Wisconsin, Wisconsin chipped away at them, and that was kind of noted. noted but you know, it was only 120 yards, and, and there was one—you know—Ohio State gashed them a few times, but it wasn't consistent. But you're right; they've got to win that, or, or they don't win. Um, so it seems to me the big advantage in this game for Michigan would then be the passing game versus the Spartan secondary. You know, you mentioned Joe Bocci, uh, Josiah Scott, the cornerback's been banged up. Uh, is that, you know, that looks to be the biggest probably mismatch on the field, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, it really is. It, it, to me, it's Michigan's passing game. It's Michigan's receivers and the the secondary of Michigan State. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's not young necessarily. I mean, Josh Butler's been around a long time, but he's just not at an elite level of a Justin Lane. And, and, you know, what I don't think any of us quite realized was just how much they were going to miss Lane and Kari Willis. And those two guys are starting in the NFL, and, you know, so we probably should have probably should have realized it. <laughs> right. All right, well, let's, uh, let's prognosticate here, and I'll get you out of here. You know, Michigan State's had some success in Ann Arbor recently. They've won as underdogs uh, against Michigan before. What do you expect to happen uh, on Saturday, and, and what would Michigan State uh, need to do to, to spring the upset in Ann Arbor? You know, I, well, a couple things. One, they're, they're going to need to win the turnover battle. They're going to need to score early and sort of not play from behind. This is not a team that can play from behind. So that if they you get a scripted drive or something goes well and they're in it right away, then um, and then they're, they're going to have to do something that sort of surprises people. Oh, that passing game's working. Oh, Michigan really can't run the football. Or Michigan reverts back to ten years ago or to ten quarters ago before they were. You know, I mean, if you were to look at this game a month ago, you thought, well, the game may not be fit for television, but it might be an even battle. <laughs> right. And then Michigan's found something and really taken off. And so, if this, if what we've seen from Michigan is real, there, Michigan State's in trouble. I, I think it'll be one of those games where Michigan State keeps it somewhat competitive for a while, and it winds up in the you know, 34-10, 34-13 type of range. But it could get really ugly, and I would not be stunned. We saw it in 2016 it was supposed to be a blowout. I wouldn't be stunned if it was closer. 
Yeah, that's true. And uh, definitely that's why they play the game. And, and that's why, uh, you know, rivalries are always great because uh, these teams can uh, duke it out on the field and uh, the best team wins. So, Graham, uh, appreciate uh, the time today. Graham Couch covers Michigan State Athletics for the Lansing State Journal. You can read his work at LSJ.com or find him on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch. Uh, Graham, thanks again for the time. Anytime. Thanks a lot. All right, let's get to some picks. Need a big week. Lock of the week failed me last week. Five and six on the season, a one and three week overall. It is time to reverse that trend and get back in the green this week. And I picked four games here that I actually do feel very good about. Let's start in South Bend. Navy taking on Notre Dame. The Irish are a seven and a half point favorite. For the first time since 1978, both teams are ranked going into this matchup. Navy's been really good this year. They're seven and one. They're winners of five in a row. Michigan ran all over Notre Dame in the rain a few weeks ago. Navy runs a triple option, but unlike Army, they also have a quarterback that can throw the ball down the field as well. I mean, what makes you think Notre Dame isn't going to get run all over again in this game like Michigan did to them a few weeks ago? This game to me screams underdog, especially with that half point hook, not to mention the betting numbers favor Navy. Navy is 9-2-1 against the spread in their last 12 games. They are 4-1-1 in their last 6 on the road. And they are 11-2 in their last 13 games at Notre Dame. I also talked about the hook. It's not a 7-pointer. It's a 7.5-point favorite that Notre Dame is in this one. So that's why I love the underdog here. I will take Navy plus the 7.5. Let's head to the heartland in the Big Ten, Lincoln, Nebraska. That's where Wisconsin comes to town. They are a 14-point favorite on the Cornhuskers. Wisconsin has dominated this rivalry lately. They've won six straight meetings against Nebraska. Not the second year that Scott Frost wanted at the helm at the head coaching job there, but he will get things going down the road. This just is not their year. And when you watch them, teams that control the line of scrimmage and run the ball well have been destroying That Nebraska defense all year. Taylor Martinez, he's a playmaker at quarterback for Nebraska, but he doesn't have enough playmakers around him like what Justin Fields had when Ohio State took care of Wisconsin a few weeks ago. The betting numbers, they also heavily favor the Badgers here too. Nebraska is 0-6 against the spread in their last six conference games. They are 0-5 against the number this year versus a team with a winning record. Jonathan Taylor and the Badgers are going to run all over these guys on Saturday. I like the road favorites. I'll take Wisconsin by 14. You know I love home underdogs, and I'm going with an undefeated team that isn't getting a lot of respect right now, and that is the Baylor Bears. Baylor is a 10-point home underdog to Oklahoma. Oklahoma's been really shaky the last couple weeks. They were a missed two-point conversion away from being upset at home last week by Iowa State. And there's been all this talk about how great Oklahoma is and they're a really good one-loss team. Are they really? I mean, who have they beaten? Oklahoma's only truly beaten two teams that will be bowl-bound, and that's Texas and Iowa State. And both of those games were major tests for the Sooners. Meanwhile... I know Baylor isn't taking the world by storm themselves, but there's something to be said about being undefeated in a Power 5 conference. And they have found ways to win when they haven't played their best games, including winning a couple games in overtime, like the game last week against TCU. They get this game at home. I think that's going to be a crazy atmosphere, very similar to what the Minnesota atmosphere was in that home crowd last week for them against Penn State. I'm going to roll with the Baylor Bears here. I love those home underdogs. I will take them as those 10-point underdogs. And my lock of the week, I'm going with Alabama over Mississippi State. 
This number keeps falling because Tua is a game-time decision, and I love it every time the number dips. Currently, it is sitting at 17.5 points, which is where I am betting it. Why is Alabama my lock of the week? couple easy reasons right here. I think Tua plays, and even if he plays in just the first half and sits out the second half, that should be more than enough for Alabama to crush Mississippi State. Alabama, they need style points. They need to win out. They need to crush teams to impress the college football playoff committee. Saban will ask his team to step on the gas, and I expect them to do that on Saturday. Also, on the other side of the ball, Mississippi State is not a good football team. They got torn apart by Auburn's Bo Nix. That is a freshman quarterback. What do you think one-legged Tua will do against them? Or maybe one hand tied behind his back uh, will do against them. It's just not a good matchup for Mississippi State. And I also love the betting numbers here. Bama is 4-1 and one against the spread in their last five road games where the, the team they're playing at home has a losing home record. Mississippi State, on the other hand, is 1-4 in in that same category, and they're also 1-4 in in their last five games versus SEC teams in conference play. So I'm getting this at 17.5, but I am comfortable taking it for anywhere between 17.5 to 20.5 points. Alabama, they are my lock of the week. Here we go. And now for the game that matters most on Saturday, the 14th-ranked Michigan Wolverines, 7-2 on the season and 4-2 in conference play, take on the in-state rivals, the Michigan State Spartans. Sparty is 4-5 on the season and a disappointing 2-4 in the Big Ten. Michigan, of course, will again be featured in Fox's Big Noon kickoff, which many of us who will be attending the game are thankful it is a noon game instead of a night game, given the fact that it could be in the low 30s at kickoff. Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt will be on the call in that one on Fox, and Jim Brandstander and Dan Deardorff will call the game on the Michigan Learfield IMG Radio Network on radio stations across the great state of Michigan. The numbers you need to know, this will be the 112th meeting between the two schools. Michigan holds a 70-36-5 advantage in the all-time series, but it's Sparty who's been better recently in the series. Michigan State has won eight of their last 11 games against the Wolverines. Michigan with a 34-20-3 record against Michigan State in the big house, but Sparty has won the last two in Ann Arbor. You had the surrender Cobra inflicting muff punt for touchdown and the torrential downpour game there that led to the last two victories for them in the big house. Jim Harbaugh coached in both those games. He is 2-2 against Michigan State. His two wins coming on the road, so he's looking for his first victory against Michigan State at home, while Mark D'Antonio is 8-4 against the Wolverines. The team with the most productive ground attack, they've won 44 of the last 49 games in the series. And as you know, the teams play for the Paul Bunyan Trophy, a tradition for the last 66 years. Michigan has a 37-27-2 advantage in the quest for a trophy that looks like it was purchased for $2 from some old lady's estate sale. (laughs) The betting numbers, Michigan is a 13.5-point favorite in this one. I mean, come on, it does. It's a terrible-looking trophy. Uh, Michigan, 13.5-point favorite in this one. That's been a strong play, Michigan against the spread recently, if you're betting on Michigan. They are 5-1 and one against the number in their last six games and 4-1 and one versus the number in their last five conference games. Now, I know rivalry games are supposed to be close, and I know Michigan State has won the last two in Ann Arbor, albeit one of the flukiest plays you'll ever see in a driving rainstorm. 
but something just isn't right with Michigan State right now. And I saw it firsthand uh, in Madison where Michigan State just got blown out by Wisconsin, of course, last week with the epic collapse against Illinois. You know, Mark D'Antonio and the players on the team, they've been saying all the right things this week, um, saying their focus, you know, things change when it's a rivalry game. They're not going to let last week's epic collapse ruin their psyche. But really, I mean, it's just, it's one thing to say that, but deep down, those guys have to be reeling right now. Uh, Certainly the expectations were for a much better season than what they're having right now. And they have to win two out of their last three games to even think about going to a bowl game. And it's really a matchup of two teams on different paths right now. Michigan, ever since halftime of that Penn State game, they've been clicking offensively. The defense has looked incredible. Michigan State, they've lost four in a row. And that loss last week was just plain out inexcusable. So I really wonder how they can overcome that when they take the field against Michigan on Saturday. And I mean, one way maybe, you know, they're going to have to come out and score early because, you know, if Michigan gets up on Michigan State early and by a couple scores in this one, it's hard to imagine a situation that Michigan State would be able to come back because their offense has not looked good uh, this season. But if you take out the psyche and what happened to Michigan State last week and you just look at the position groups and the matchups, this game really favors Michigan in every facet. And the biggest area that Michigan should be able to expose will be that Michigan State secondary that's banged up with injuries and doesn't have the benefit of a great pass rusher in Joe Bocci, who was suspended by the Big Ten for a failed drug test. On the other side of the ball, offensively, Michigan State has really struggled. They're ranked 65th in passing, 106th in rushing. I think they're 110th in scoring. And those aren't great stats at all. Michigan's defense, they've been on fire lately. They're 11th ranked scoring defense in the country and expect them to put a lot of pressure on Brian Lewerke on Saturday. I mean, I guess if you look at intangibles, maybe Michigan State has an edge there. They've got nothing to lose. Always great to knock off your rival. A lot of these players have had success in Ann Arbor where Sparty has won the last two straight. A bunch of players on that team were at that game, the last game they played in Ann Arbor that they won. So, There are maybe some intangibles that are in Michigan State's favor, but when you look at the players on the field and the matchups and the psyche going into this game, it's just hard to imagine Michigan State having enough in the tank to really compete with Michigan on Saturday. So I expect Michigan to keep things rolling here on Saturday. I think they do cover the number, although I never bet on Michigan, which I guess is stupid since they're a five and one in the last six. So maybe you should. I don't know. But I like Michigan in this one. I just think they've got too much going for them right now, and Michigan State has too much going against them. I'll take Michigan with a final score prediction here of 34-13. to And that will do it for this week's edition of Hail to the Pod. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, you can find me on Twitter at krich23. You can email the show at hailtothepod at gmail.com. And be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast anywhere your favorite podcasts are found, including Google Play, Apple iTunes and Spotify. Enjoy the game this weekend. And as always, go blue.